We've been on this series about unify since the start of the year. And I've spelled out the word unify with each of the letters representing one segment or one short series within the larger series. So the, the U is understand, learning to understand one another, learning to understand God and ourselves better is going to help us get along better with other people. And the next one is non-dual, uh, to be non-dual, to, to not look at the world strictly in categories of this or that, black or white, right or wrong, or, and, and that's what gets us into trouble so often, to, to see that grace, most importantly, has come in and said, yeah, I know that all of us have done wrong, God tells us, but you know what, I love you, and my grace is sufficient for you. And that, that's a non-dual kind of thing, so thankfully God is non-dual. And the I is for include. Include everyone. Because the love of God, as I shared with the children, is promised to us, and it's not promised to an exclusive group. It's promised to an inclusive group. Now, not everyone accepts the love that is there for them. Maybe they're not ready to. Maybe they don't want to. And, and we can all reject that love, but it's open to everyone. And we should live like it's open to everyone. So we include, and then the F is forgive. That is the center of the gospel. It's not, it's not a sideshow. It's not... Um, something that, that comes along later, it, it, it's right down the middle. He died on the cross, that is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, for us to forgive us. And we, in turn, as we just prayed a moment ago, pass that forgiveness on to other people as a flow through. So today we began the why, and that is yearn. Yearn. Hunger. Thirst. Not like you just wanted a little bit, but it's, you, you're, you're passionate about it. Don't you yearn for people to be well, to, for our nation to be well, for, for people to be whole, for Christians to get along? I know that in this world, it's never going to be all perfect. In fact, that's what heaven's about. But nonetheless, we also prayed this a moment, a moment ago, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So God wants us to get along better than we are, let's be honest. And so in order to unify, we have to yearn for all of those things. And today, yearning for integrity. <clears throat> During these troubling days, we need people with integrity. People who are unshaken by the distressing circumstances that have impacted our world. Humanity is crying out for godly people who are unshaken, not moved, standing firm, secure. Will you be that person? In this psalm this morning, I want to do something that I often do in various situations to to gain understanding, especially if I have a goal that I want to achieve in my life, I use a catchphrase, maybe you've heard this, begin with the end in mind. So if I'm starting a new enterprise, a, a, a new venture, whatever it might be in my life, I have a goal at the end that I want it to look like. That. That's a long time away, but I, I'm focusing on that goal in the end. So, so with that, that basic phrase, I want to use this morning because I'm going to jump to the last verse first. 
Okay, so, so this is Psalm 15, and it's actually the, the last half of the last verse, the last line. It says, whoever does these things will never be shaken. Wow. Whoever does these things will never be shaken. What, what a great promise. And, okay, so how do I get there? And the, and the reason I say that first is because the first verse says, Lord, who may dwell in your sacred tent? who may live on your holy mountain. So if you read that, that might kind of lead you to think, okay, this is how I get to heaven. This is how I end up in in holiness with God and and dwelling in his tent forever. And that's not what this is about. Now, it's true of heaven as it is on, you know, as, as we want it to be on earth, but what the psalm writer is, is telling us here is that these ways are what God wants right here and right now. In other words, to dwell in his tent is, is, to, be, is to be in God's presence. To be on his holy mountain is, is to have God with us. So it's not that I'm permanently with God, like I'm gone from this world to have his presence. I can have his presence right here and right now, amen? So as God is present with me, I align myself with the presence of God, okay? So, so that, that, that idea flows through the rest of this toward the goal of never being shaken, okay? So that, that's, what, that's what we're going to see as we go forward here, to, to align our lives with the presence of God. And the first way to be aligned is to walk with integrity, to walk with integrity. The second verse says this, the one whose walk is blameless who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from their heart. Now in the NIV, which I just read from my Bible here, it uses the word blameless. Some translations will use the word, um, or, or versions use the word integrity, or have integrity, or others might use the word upright. Those are the three most common ones that kind of give that a broader understanding. Integrity is the word I chose as, as, the, as the theme of this whole message today because it's so lacking in our world. Years ago, when I was a, a youth pastor, I was talking about that word with the teenagers. And um, as even with adults, they, you kind of know what it is, but maybe you can't define it easily. Um, you know it's something good. So this 15-year-old girl... When I asked the question, what do you guys think integrity is? Without pausing, she said, integrity is personal honor. And I said, that's good, Jennifer. Yeah, you, you really have the essence. And for a 15-year-old girl to capture it like that was, was beautiful. And I never, never forgot about that. And it's spelled out then in, in, the, in that verse, in that second verse, to do what's right Speaking truth from your heart. Doing what's right for the right reasons. For with the right motivation. At the right time. In the right way. With the right people. Now we're never going to do all of that perfectly. But this is always a, a goal before us. You know I, I love... When I, I love baseball. I'm glad it's back, and I'm glad there, there's more fans in the stadium. It sounds better on TV. Someday I want to be one of those fans before too long. But um, 
baseball has, has a lot of great metaphors, and one of them is that if you, and if you don't know baseball or sports, just hang in there with me, okay? If you bat with an average of 300 or better, you are considered a great player. And you will probably make millions and millions of dollars because you can do that, okay? Now, all that means is 300 out of 1,000 times, you know, or you might say 30% of the time that you go up to the bat, you get a hit. So what that means is 7 out of 10 times or 70 out of 100 or whatever, you fail to get a hit. So in baseball, you are considered great even though you fail 70% of the time. Hmm, I like that. One of the greatest uh, home run hitters ever, guy way back when named Babe Ruth, who had the, the record a long time until Hank Aaron, who recently passed away, broke that record in, about, I think it was 75 he broke that, 1975. Um, Babe Ruth had, for a long time, the all-time record in strikeouts as well. He struck out even more than he had home runs. So... We can recognize in sports that you have a goal to be as good as you can and, and to help your team get the win, or if it's an individual sport like, like golf or tennis or swimming in the Olympics or wherever it is, you have goals for yourself or for your team. But you know that you're not always going to reach them every day. So, as believers in Jesus, let's not get all uptight when we fail once in a while. Okay? In fact, I think that's what forgiveness is for. Now, we don't just say, oh, it doesn't matter, I get forgiven anyway. No, that's not the attitude God wants us to have, but, but we have a goal to do what's right. And so let's work toward that goal. And you fall and you fail, you get up, you dust yourself off, have others dust yourself off, and keep going, and keep going, doing the right thing for the right reasons in the right way. And then speaking the truth from the heart. Sometimes truth has to be told to people. But how you say it is just as important as what you say. You can say something that is very truthful to a, to a person, but if it doesn't come from a heart of genuine love for that person, then it could actually just backfire and make it worse. You ever been there? Ever had someone tell you something that maybe you needed to hear, but because of the tone, because of the circumstance, because they, they didn't, maybe they were even very, very selfishly motivated about it. I'm going to tell that person off. I'm going to say what's obvious that everyone knows it's a truthful thing that you said, but it wasn't said from the heart. It wasn't spoken from the heart. Social media does this all the time. And, and for those of you who haven't you know, heard me say this before, it bears repeating. Always keep in mind when you're typing things on your phone, your computer, whatever, to someone else on Facebook, on Twitter, and all the other stuff, all right, that when someone just reads words, it will never carry the same essence as a spoken word to them that they audibly hear. Amen. It can't. God made our brains to activate compassion, to, to activate um, empathy from hearing, not from seeing. Seeing it can happen, okay? Don't get me wrong. But, but just reading words is never going to have 
the same or a complete reaction as hearing someone say it, especially when it's said straight from the heart with, with love for that person. So that's why it's so frustrating, isn't it? You know, you say something and you, you thought you typed it nicely, but they're, 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 not getting the, they're not getting the compassion. They're not getting the empathy, you know. And, and so they, you know, go off and get angry at you or, or whatever else they might do. So social media is very limited in terms of resolving conflict, bridging divides. It's fun to share pictures of weddings, and my grandkids. Isn't that beautiful? That really brings a smile. By the way, why is that? Because it's a picture, it's not just words. Okay? Pictures help a lot, you know? Secondly, then, being aligned with the presence of God is to, means to control your words. Verse 3 says, whose tongue utters no slander, who does no wrong to a neighbor, and casts no slur on others. All right, how many of you growing up heard the phrase or something like this? Young man, you watch your mouth. Young lady, watch your mouth. And if you don't watch your mouth, you're going to get your mouth washed. Amen? All right. <laughs> Been there, yep. Uh, tasted a few soaps in my day, you know. Um, but regardless of, of the, the consequence of the punishment for those words that weren't supposed to come out but still did, you know, we still get the message from childhood that, that what we say matters and how we say it. And so to control the words is important. James writes about this in, in the book of James near the back of your Bible about... Uh, the tongue and, and, and the power of the tongue to destroy, to set things on fire, basically. It, it, it's, it's a very important tool that we have to be able to speak, but it's also one that can be very dangerous. And so to be aligned with the presence of God means that we are going to control our words where there will be no slander. Cutting people down, destroying people verbally, Typing it on, on, on Facebook or saying it to them directly. Slander. Bring others down. There's simply no place for it. It, 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 makes, it makes no one better. Okay? It, it doesn't make the person better, obviously, whom you just deeply insulted. And it makes you worse because you've allowed yourself to, to allow that, that ideal, that bad ideal, to, to, to root in even further in your heart. Because for an instance there, for, for the smallest moment, when, when you express slander, it feels good. But that's the end of it. It's like, boom, that's it. And then everything else is bad. Everything else turns. Everything else goes makes whatever the bad circumstance was even worse. No wrong to your neighbor. How often is the wrong has the wrong to your neighbor begun with words? Sometimes there's an action that happens and we respond with words that, you know, of, of anger or frustration, but most of the time it is the words that started the problem. So we're not going to if we are aligned in the presence of God, 
we're going to think of the neighbor the way God thinks of the neighbor. And if we're not sure who the neighbor is, we'll remember how Jesus defined neighbor in the parable of the Good Samaritan. And he chose very intentionally to have the, the person, that, that, that Samaritan, as the, who was thought to be the enemy by all of the hearers in that audience, all of the Jewish people, he said, he's the one that helped. Those people that you think are no good and awful and rotten and evil and are incapable of doing anything right or good are the ones, is the one that did what was good, did what was helpful and helped that man who was beaten up and passed along by people who certainly should have known better were supposed leaders in, in, in the way of God. And so, no wrong to our neighbor. And slurs, there, I think we think first of all of probably racial slurs, which are, which are all too common. And, and sometimes we, you can think of, I guess, the other form of that word is slur. Like it, it might even be something that you say a slander can be very, very outright. And, and certainly a slur can be as well. But sometimes there's that more subtle slur. Like, okay, I'm not going to say it so they can hear it, but I'm going to mutter it. You know, if they happen to hear it anyway, oh, well. You know, I didn't mean for you to hear it. I, I was just, I didn't say anything. Yeah, you did. Yeah. That's, that's kind of the part of the essence of, of, of slur, but it, it goes back to the same problem of the heart. If, if, we're, if we feel that we have to tell someone that or say something to that, and people do awful things and people hurt in really horrible ways, and we're the victim of that, you want to act out in anger. You want to get back slanderously with a slur or even worse. But as we continually align ourselves with the presence of God, he helps us to control this thing between our ears. <clears throat> and then another one is to keep good company. Verse 4. Who despises a vile person, but honors those who fear the Lord. Despise, that's, that's a pretty strong word. Some translations, it uses the word hate right there. And uh, I, I think despise is probably a better word only because we, we recognize that we're, as, as, as people of God and God is love, then we should express love to others, okay, to the person, but not to what they do, okay? So despise is, is a, a, to despise someone that is, is, is vile means that I don't want anything to do with them. Now, maybe someday that person will come around have a change of heart, have a repentant moment, and really want it. But to say someone is vile is almost, almost the worst thing you can say about someone in terms of, of, of morality and lack of it. And it's, it's someone that just wants evil, just wants to do damage. That's all they desire, that's all they do, that's all they say. And a continual desire for more of it. Now, vile people like to connect with other vile people. All right? So, if you, when it, when it says here that, that we are just to, it, it's okay to despise them, but that's a quiet thing. That's inside. Yeah, that's not good. I'm not, 
And, and because if you try to engage a vile person, you know what's going to happen? You get sucked in. And sometimes you don't know that right away, but, you know, if, if, if you try to reason with someone who is unreasonable, if you try to love someone, now you can, always can love them, but I mean, if you like, like to reach out in a tangible kind of way, and it gets thrown back in your face, I mean. You know, in your heart you always love them or pray for them, but when, when they're going to react in those ways, you leave them alone. Keep praying for them, let them go, but don't, don't surround yourself with people like that or don't make that individual the center of your life because it's more likely that they'll change you than you change them because the change agent isn't you to begin with, it's God in you. And so the Spirit of God is going to work with them as you continue to pray. But then the other side of this is to keep good company means to honor those who fear God. So, in other words, surround yourself with godly people. Maybe you can't avoid the vile person. Maybe they're, you know, at your workplace, in your neighborhood. Maybe they're in your home, okay? And, and that, which is the hardest of all. But regardless of all of that, whatever number of, of really hard people to deal with you have in your world underscores that much more the importance of the church in your life. Of, of fellow believers in Jesus that you connect with, you communicate with, you worship with, you, you study with, you, you laugh with, you cry with, because that is what's going to hold you, give you the strength to deal with what you despise. Again, not the individual, but what they do, what they're all about, the, the direction they're headed. And this helps when we keep good company. And then also keeping, that is your word. Talked about the children with this. A promise holds little value until tested by trials. We make promises, and that's easy. Anybody can stand there as I promise. And, and keep an oath is, is you know, a, a little bit more of, of, of a binding thing. In fact, in the law of Moses, when you take an oath, that was considered to be legally binding within their community. And, and so if you were found guilty of breaking an oath and there was consequences for that um, in, in the law of Moses because taking an oath was a serious thing. Um, in our world, the, the closest thing that most of us can relate to is, is the marriage covenant. You, you stand before your friends, your family, and, and the church and God and say, I promise to, to love my husband, to love my wife, and cherish till death do us part. Now, of course, many times those Promises are broken, and, and, and life happens to people, and, and they fall away. So there's still, of course, restoration and forgiveness, and life goes on. So if that's where you were, don't let this bother you. I always need to say that because it, it's, a, it's a coin flip, isn't it? Marriage, 50-50. It's, it's unfortunate. But if you are married right now, then... Make sure that you do all you can to continue in the promise that you made. And, and, to, and it's always going to be tested by trials, isn't it? Always, always, always. We've had one big common trial for the last 15 months, right? 14 months, whatever it's been. One big common trial that's thrown on top of all the personal individual trials that we're all going through. This is really heavy, isn't it? It has been really heavy. 
it's really hard to maintain what we promised when the pressure builds so high. But at the same time, as you work through, you can find that the one you made the promise to is your strength in upholding you through the trials and through the difficulties. And so, being aligned with the presence of God, we, He helps us to keep our word in, in, in all circumstances. And lastly, being aligned with the presence of God means have, to have financial integrity. Verse 5, there's two financial aspects to this. Listen, who lends money to the poor without interest, who does not accept a bribe against the innocent. So the first one is um, when you lend money to a friend or a family member, you know, they, they need it, okay? Um, do you have them sign paperwork and they say, here's the interest and here's the payment plan? And, you know, now, you might have a payment plan, like, like, you know, they, and they're going to want to pay you back, but are you going to throw on an extra 5%? 10%, you know, so, so if, I, if I give someone, um, you know, 20 bucks, I'm going to charge 5%, then I, in the end I expect, um, wait, 5%. <laughs> That's why Linda does the finances. Even the simple equation, you know, $40, 40 cents, I don't know, whatever. But um, you, you see what I'm saying? It, it, it's that we, um, we give because we want someone else to, to be better, we want them to work through the circumstance that they needed money for, and if they're able to pay us back, great. But we certainly don't charge interest for it. Two years ago, almost two years ago, um, there was a woman that came to, to the other church in Bartonsville, um, came alone, in fact, didn't even drive to church, and long story short, she was wandering around the community for a couple of weeks, and, and the police brought her to our church because she slept on somebody's porch that night. And they called, and the, they called the police. And she, she was harmless. She didn't mean anybody harm. She just, and she, the officer says, well, where do you want to go? She said, I want to go to church. It was a Sunday morning. So the police barracks is right down the street in, from our church in Bartonsville. So he said, well, there's a church down the street. Is that one okay? Fine. So the officer brought her to church, <laughs> which I think is really cool. And very long story, but basically she had deep troubles emotionally and mentally in different ways, but she needed to get home to somewhere in the Midwest. And she had no money. So our, the, the church leadership over in Bartonsville, we got together and communicated with one another. We sat down and talked with her some more. We put her up in a hotel that night and you know, and then we decided, you know, this woman really needs to get home with her mom. So we bought her a flight ticket. And um, we got her there. And there, there was a few hiccups along the way. We were almost afraid she wandered off again on the, on the connecting flight in Chicago. But, but she eventually, she got home. And um, six months later, we, we kept touch with her a little bit here and there, see how she's doing. Six months later, maybe eight months, we got a, a note in the mail with a check for the exact amount of the flight ticket and a big thank you from that woman. Now, we didn't tell her this was a loan and you have to give it back. This is church money and we're, that's a small church too. We don't have a lot of money. But she was so appreciative that she gave it back. 
Okay? When we give, if we get it back, good. And that person, if the person is able to and wants to, we receive it back. Think about the, the Good Samaritan again. When the Samaritan man took the man who was beaten up into that inn, what did he do? He took care of his wounds, medicine, food, shelter. He took care of his needs. And what else did he say to the innkeeper? And if there's anything else, I'll pay you when I get back. He went beyond that. Never talked about being paid back. You know? So that's the way we should give of ourselves and not just financially in all ways, not expecting something back. And then the other financial component in verse 5 is um, do not accept a bribe against the innocent. Um, that's probably something we can't mostly relate to directly, but, but one way I could, I could think of this in, in kind of the larger aspect is you know, don't let money corrupt justice. And so one... One way that will certainly touch on this is that if... Now, I don't often give to um, political campaigns, okay? I have done so over the years occasionally, and usually it was someone more local, someone that I knew or in our, you know, had better connection with anyway. Um, but some people feel motivated to give nationally, and, and that's fine. It's their money. They want to do that. But I won't do that ever if, unless I am sure that that candidate isn't going to use that money to slam somebody else. If that candidate's going to, going to use that money to advertise, to go on TV or put up posters or whatever to say, vote for Joe Jones because Joe's going to do this, this, and this for the nation or the community or the state or wherever he's running for. And I feel good about all of that. Great. Go, Joe. I'll vote for you. Let's go. But if Joe's going to take that money and say, well, I'm running against Sally... And Sally, oh man, what a creep. Boy, you see what she did. I'm going to dig up dirt on her. And it's probably not true anyway, but I'm going to put it out there as if it is because most people won't bother to check if it is true. And so I'm not going to give my money to something that's going to tear someone else down. So that's the same principle here. And then there's probably other ways that that's true in our lives. So, so we have to be careful and wise with money to have integrity in all ways with has, in as much as God's blessed us with the provisions for our lives. And we're back to that sixth verse and the last verse. Whoever, actually it's the end of the fifth verse, excuse me. Whoever does these things will never be shaken. So I pray that, that as you learn and continue to learn how to walk with integrity, control your words to keep good company, to keep your word and have financial integrity, that you will experience the strength of stability in your life. During these troubling days, we need people with integrity. People who are unshaken by the distressing circumstances that have impacted our world. Humanity is crying out for godly people who are unshaken, not moved, standing firm, secure. Will you be that person? Amen. Father, help us to accomplish what you want through us as we stand in your presence and allow you to change us. In your name, amen.